Last week we started a new series uh, called Relevancy of the Ten. And uh, it was uh, basically that. We looked at uh, the Ten Commandments. We looked at kind of some of the new things that God has for us, the ways in which God is working in and through our lives, and how He's calling us to obedience in Him. And uh, we, we looked, one of the things we looked at first off was from, we looked at Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, where it talks, where, where God says to Moses, kind of the preliminary foundation piece, the, the prelude to his outlining of the Ten Commandments. He says this, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, God says, I want to make sure that you understand the relationship we have. As I lay out these, these things that I'm asking you to do, I want you to understand that the reason I'm giving you these things is because I am the God who has saved you. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God who saved you. I'm the God who's been with you through all the messes you've found yourself in, all the bondages you've found yourself in. I am the God who is there. And I will continue to be there. Because that's very pivotal when you understand and look at the Ten Commandments. That we understand that they're coming from a God who loves us and a God who has done so much for us. And He's not asking us to do huge things. He's just asking us to to engage in Him in a good relationship, which is the first couple of commandments. And then the last, most of the last one, the last six are all more about our relationship with one another. And we, then we looked at the first command, of course, which is, the, which is the very thing where he says, you know, have no other gods before me. That was the first one. Have no other gods before me. How we are designed with a hunger to worship someone or something. To find some god to worship, be it values, priorities, money, our mind, our intelligence, our freedom to choose, whatever it is, that god that we elevate calls us to worship him and calls it to sacrifice something to him in order to make him happy and to have a good relationship with that god. In the process, if it's not the God of heaven, we end up losing our soul in the process of, of our sacrifices, of the, of the things that we, we give up to make appease that one God. Because we think that everything revolves around it. Even sins can be elevated to a place of deity. Things like pride and envy and bitterness and lust and fear and self-image and pleasure, all those can be gods as well. But then we're going to look at the, today we're going to look at the second commandment. And the second commandment means that God's calling us to go a little bit further. It reveals another layer of this thing about, of worship and what it's all about. So if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read the second commandment that's there from verses 4 and 5. And so God tells Moses, gives these instructions to Moses. He says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, as we, as we think about these things, we often look at, at gods and we think, well, they're statues. You know, that's what he's talking about here. And, and he is talking about that. But anything that takes the place of God, any kind of, you know, the, because the sun is so hot and powerful, people will worship it. Or because the moon is so 
um, you know, beautiful at night or something. I don't know, people will worship that. Or because of the fish in the sea create, bring their livelihood, so they will worship the fish in the sea or the cows or, or whatever. And so people create these images to take the place of God. And that's the traditional view. And in Moses' time, they did that. They elevated different uh, things, different statues into the place of God. They fashioned God, in a sense, into a form. And they elevated that. Now, most of us today probably don't have any, well, I'm, I'm hoping you don't have any hidden statues in your, in your house, you know, little, little corners, but there's lots of many people in the world that do. They have very Im images and so on in their courtyards, out in the front yards. We were in Bali, Indonesia, staying with my, my wife's cousin, and, and in the house they were renting had this statue of a, a statue in the front yard. And, I mean, they never worshipped it, but they couldn't get rid of it because they were renting, and so, but it was there because that was what that the owners of that home wanted. They wanted that statue to be there. And it was everywhere throughout that whole, whole, whole island. There was images all over the place of people, of images that they worshipped. And so God calls us not to do that. And so most of us here are probably going, no, that's, that's not really, it's not a big thing for me, you know, because I don't really have any statues, kind of any Buddhas or, you know, idols or something that kind of hidden in my, in my backyard or in my front yard or whatever. But there's another aspect here that I think he's referring to as well, and I think he, and this is the part I want to spend the most time on, is that the image is the image that we have of God in our mind. We may not have a visible, tangible image, but sometimes we have an image of what God is like in our minds. Our perception, our view of God. And, and, and that view of God can be a false image of God. And that, that false image can kind of put God in a box because we only think of God through that lens of however we perceive him to be. And, and the Israelites had that as well because their image of God at different times throughout as you watch them, their, their image of God changed. There was a time where they, they, they feared God and they didn't want anything to do with God and they kind of walked. They said, Moses, you talk to God. We, we can't talk to God. You talk to God. And, and so over and over again, they, there was, even the Israelites had this image, this perception of God that was a false image of perception of God, that, they, that God didn't want anything to do with them. He only wanted to talk to Moses, and then after he talked to Moses, then Moses could tell them whatever he heard. And that was kind of the way that things went. But even in our day, we have these false images of who God is. Let me, I'm going to describe a few of them. I'm not going to defend any of them or, or kind of try and present the, the right perspective, I'll leave that up to you and God to work through because each of you may have a different perception and it may only be a slight sliver of each one of these in different ways. The first one is, I'm going to call him the bartender God. That may sound kind of crash, but let me just put it this way. Or maybe, if, if you're a lady, maybe the hairdresser God. And, and what that is, is you go to God and God just loves you for who you are and you tell him everything but he never judges you, never condemns you. He just listens. Like a bartender or like a hairdresser, right? They just listen. You can kind of dump whatever you say in the bar stays at the bar. Whatever you tell your hairdresser stays with the hairdresser, right? And so we have this image of God that we just kind of dump on God, and then God just listens to us, and he's just kind of there. He just, he's, he's, we can kind of vent to him. The God is loves, and God loves us unapologetically. He doesn't judge us. He never condemns us. He just, he just loves on us. 
And yet, even as we sang earlier that mercy, you know, mercy triumphs over judgment, there is this aspect of God, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kind of say this up front, because oftentimes our image of God is partially right. The fact that God is kind of a bartender God or a hairdresser God is partially right, because God does listen to us. But God is also a God of justice. And so most of our images of God are, are, are a very narrow image of God, a very slight, a very sliver of what God is, and we reject other parts of it that we don't fully understand. But God and his deity often can, can balance some of these um, almost opposing type forces, opposing type views, opposing type characteristics of judgment and love. And he can balance them perfectly in a way that you and I really, really struggle with. He holds both characteristics in tension, or the, 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 in, in, in complete balance, and in, in, in an amazing tension between them. So we see that God could be a bartender or a, or a hairdressing type God. Another one is God is the, you know, the white-haired, old, grumpy old man sitting on the throne. And he's got the big staff... Maybe a lightning bolt is attached to it. And, you know, he's, he's standing there in judgment. He's the all-powerful cop. Or maybe the party pooper God, you know, that really just likes to rain on our parade and, and make a mess of our lives. And he doesn't really care about us. He's just kind of critical. He's a vindictive. He's a taskmaster type God. He doesn't really love people. It's kind of the opposite of the first one. And so some people have that image of God, that God is, is just harsh in every kind of which way. And he stands for holiness. And he stands for justice. And, and, and there's no room for mercy or anything else. God is just, he's, he's a harsh, harsh, harsh God. That's some people's view of God. Then there's the, another view, another type of God is the disconnected watchmaker. Someone described him as that. A disconnected watchmaker who winds up the world... And, uh, you know, kind of got, and then kind of goes, there you go. And then he steps back, way back, and he's a distant God. He says, okay, it's your world. You make it happen. You let things happen. He's separate from us. Or in some cases, he may be even... He may be even separate from us in the sense that, well, it was the God of our ancestors, but not really our God. You know, our, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, or my mom and dad's, but it's not really mine, my God, kind of distant. God is over there, and I'm kind of here, and there's no connection between us. And, and some may even look at that and then going, well, you know, look at all the injustices in the world. Look at all the abuse. Look at all the corruption. God doesn't really care because if he really cared, he would do something about that. He would do, you know, look at all the children that are going hungry, that are starving, or, or the abuse that is taking place and the violence and so on that's going on in our world. If God really cared, God would step in. But God is distant. No, he, he's too far removed. He doesn't really care about us. That's the disconnected watchmaker. Then there's the Star Wars God. You ever thought about that one? The God that's portrayed in Star Wars? That God is somehow this force of a balance of good and evil. And, uh, you know, you can, 
kind of use the force and the force kind of uses you and it's kind of this there's no real entity to it to 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 god he's just kind of in everything and everything around us and just he's everywhere but nowhere kind of thing and and he's not an actual being but more of a force i mean star wars does a great great job of teaching that kind of theology about their their view of of god in our world so there's the Star Wars God. Some people believe in that. Then there's the teddy bear God, which is a little bit like one of the first ones where, you know, God is a safe and cuddly God, and we kind of hang on to him when we need him, you know, and we make sure we have him when we go to sleep at night, you know, protect us, don't, don't let us have any harm for tomorrow, and, you know, we, we cuddle up with God, and then we just kind of put him on the shelf, and then we go well about our day, and then when we need him, oh, we come running back, and, you know, when somebody hurts us, we come back and we cuddle him again. Or there's the puppet God, you know, where God kind of controls us and he manipulates us and, and, and forces us into doing things. Or on the flip side, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in a different sense, but that we can, we can make God our puppet. There's the multi-personality God, the polytheistic God. God is, you know, it doesn't matter what religion of the world you're a part of, it all, all pathways lead to God, all are the same thing, and God calls us all to be, you know, it's, it's all one God, everybody's rolled into one, it doesn't matter which way you pathway you go, they all lead to God, Allah, Buddha, whatever, Jesus, they're all the same. Then there's some people that say, they have this kind of image of God, that God that never answers prayer, you know? God, you know, I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and God just never seems to answer my prayers. Or the other flip side of that is the vending machine God. That God is like a vending machine. That if, if I put in enough prayers, if I have enough faith, if I, if I kind of put in all the right things and kind of do these things and make sure that I'm nice to my, my, my kids or my spouse or my friends and do all the right things, that God will just, God will automatically give me everything I asked for. After all, the verse says, ask anything in my name and I will do it. I mean, hey, we got a Bible verse for that one. We can, God is our vending machine. And we just, no relationship, just, just do the right things, hold out your hand, and out they come. Out comes God's answers. Then there's, this is a long titled one, which kind of wraps up a lot of different ones. It's called, it's called the moralistic, therapeutic, deistic God. You're going, well, what in the world is that? Let me unpack it for you, the three titles there. Moralistic is this, that we should be good, moral people, not necessarily radical followers of Jesus, you know, just good people. That would be moral people. That's what God wants us to do. And therapeutic is the goal of God is to provide therapeutic benefit to each of us. Not to be worshipped, adored, and obeyed, but God wants us to feel good about ourselves. And have high self-esteem. That's the therapeutic. And then the deism aspect of it is that God exists and created the world, but that kind of just leaves us alone unless we need him to fix something or solve a problem, and then we kind of go there and, and get him. And it's kind of like a genie God. That's how this kind of God is. And I got a picture here. I think they're going to throw it up on the screen. And it says... Um, hello there, you rang. How can I make you feel better right now? How can I serve you? Wow, you're looking nice today. You're just the greatest thing ever, aren't you? And man, am I lucky to be your God. See, there's lots of people that have that image. Not, now, most people go, well, that, I, I don't really have that. 
But practically speaking, that might be way they have it, that view of God. Now, as I said near the beginning, um, all of these in some way or form have some slice of truth revealed in them about who God is. But oftentimes, these, are, these views are distorted, and they're false images, and they're, they're extrapolated, they're pushed out far beyond the way God intended them to be, and they, they only scratch the surface of, of, of who God is, and, so, and yet we hang on to those kind of segments, those, those partial images of God, and we make those our view of who God is. Now, I, I could actually, from biblical, I could probably come up with biblical passages that support each of these false views of God from the Bible. I could actually come up and, and say, hey, God is, you know, this. And I could find a verse that talks about the fact that God is, what was the first one? Um, the, uh, the bartender God, that God loves us. And, you know, I could come up with a verse on that. And the grumpy old, you know, guy, the, 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 the hard-hearted, powerful cop, I could come up with some verses about that, that God is a just God and God's, God's a, you know, how God could be. The God is disconnected from our world. I could even probably come up with some of those or maybe even some, some verses that talk about how God is in everything and around us and, you know, it could almost seem like the Star Wars God. I could come up with all kinds of verses that support each one of those views of God and yet all of them would be false if I kept the, excuse me, just by themselves or if I pushed them to the degrees that some of us believe them to be. In some ways, I, I had a pr professor way back in college, he called that a lot of people have come to Christianity and to God, and they, it's kind of like, it's like a, the cafeteria Christianity is what he called it. In other words, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a buffet, and you walk along there, you got your plate, and you're going, okay, which characteristics of God do I want? I go, oh, I like, I like that God is love, eh, justice, judgment, eh, I'm not really into that. But hey, this is, this is a good one. God answers prayers. Yep, yep, I'll take, I'll take extra helpings of that one. And we go along and we pick and choose what version and what view of God we want to, to believe in. We get to pick. Now, in some ways, it, that's a good thing because God has given us the ability to think intelligently and to be creative and to think outside the box and to understand things that we, don't re, that we haven't really... Um, ever discovered before and so we but we we take that and we apply it to this view of God and we start defining who God is by by creating whatever view of God we want him to be and we pick and choose we according to our palate whatever we we feel like and sometimes it's even what we feel like for the day or for the week we get to choose and we pass on other things but that's not really how the best way to get to know God now, you, if you think about this, none of us would ever want to be limited or judged by, you know, and sometimes, let me, let me back up a little bit. Some of us are a little bit afraid of being, of, uh, we experience God in one aspect, or we see one thing, a part of God, and we're going, oh, well, I don't want to have anything to do with God if that's how God is. In other words, a first impression of God. You ever notice that? And, I mean, we, we're all very cautious about that when we meet people for the first time. We're going, hey, how's it going, you know, and you get to know somebody and maybe they're, they do something really stupid and you judge them right away and you condemn them and you're going, oof. But none of us want to be that way in and of ourselves. We don't ever want to be judged on first impressions, unless, of course, it's a really good one. But most of us want to have at least a second or third or fourth chance. 
But all of us have been judged and condemned according to some stereotypical thing that we've encountered. I'm sure all of us have either been seen as ugly, fat, too skinny, not pretty, old, nerd, maybe only a jock, you know, weird, awkward, stupid, a jokester, too serious. I mean, the list goes on and on of how we've been judged according to our character. And we're going, "That's that's not who I am. But that's how the people experience us, and so they judge us accordingly. And oftentimes in our relationship with God, we judge God according to our experience with Him. First impression, second impression, third impression maybe. And we're going, I'm not sure I like that. Now guys and gals, when you looked or were looking for a future spouse... As much as you judged by the first encounter, you came to realize that the first encounter does not tell the whole story about the person that you're getting to know. And each time you meet, hopefully it's like, wow, I didn't know that about you. That's interesting. I've even kind of, over our married career, I've kind of compiled a whole series of questions that I often give young couples that challenges them on, and it's not just for young couples, it's anybody who's been married, and just challenge them and say, hey, you want to get to know something new about your, your, your spouse, your, your, the person you're dating or whoever? Ask them some of these questions. And there's no right or wrong answer to the questions. They're just open-ended questions that give a perspective on something you've probably never ever asked them before. And as you do that, you begin to discover that, wow, there's something amazing about this person. There's something unique about them. There's some, I never knew that about you, that that's what you liked, or that's who you wanted to, what you wanted to be, or whatever. And it, it takes long time for us to know a person, a spouse, a friend, but God who is infinite, how much longer would it take to get to know him? Even if we had all of eternity, I don't think we could ever fully know and comprehend who God is because he is so, um, so incredible, so awesome, so amazing in so many different ways. Now, with this passage of having false images, God does throw in there a, a warning and a blessing with his command. It's, again, almost showing the balance there is in the characteristics of God. There's this balance between you know, different aspects of God's character. And in, in, in Exodus 20, in 20 verses 5 and 6, he, he gives these, um, these images of, of who he is that kind of combats this whole thing. And he says to them, he says, you sh- these, these images, he says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep the commandments. So if we choose a false image of God or choose not to love God and choose to hate him, he says, you know, the consequences of that is my wrath is going to be not just on you, but upon your children and upon your grandchildren and upon your great-grandchildren. And we're going, oh man, that's not very fair. But, he says, if you look there, and that may be sobering and we may deem that to be unfair, yet he says, when you're willing to seek me, the true version of who I am, he says, blessing is also a part of my character. 
And the blessing is that in such that he says, not just for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, but to a thousand generations of those who keep, my, keep my, his commands. I mean, that's an amazing blessing when you think about it. In some ways, his wrath kind of dissipates after three or four generations, but his blessing, he says, that could extend even farther. I remember reading years ago this story about um, the, the lineage of two families and that's on, that lived about the same time, in the, in the 1700s. And uh, some of them you may have heard of, some of them you may not have heard of. This one was uh, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. He was a preacher and a revivalist, and his wife, they were, they were married, they had a, a large number of children. And the other man was a, that lived at the same time as him, was a contemporary of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, was Max Jukes, or I'm probably saying his name wrong. And anyways, but somebody did research on these two men. And what they came up with was they found that Jonathan and Sarah's legacy that they left behind as a, as a people who had a huge heart for God was this. Their legacy included one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. It's an incredible legacy. On the other hand, Max Jukes, he's his descendant, and he was a, a criminal and a murderer, just so you know his background, okay? His descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers or, or people that were just had no money, 440 people who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol, over 1,200 descendants were studied, and 300 of those descendants of Max died prematurely. One enjoyed incredible blessing and touched thousands and thousands of lives and the others touched thousands and thousands of lives in a very negative way. But that's the blessing that God can bring through us when we seek Him and we seek a true image of who He is. And when, when we choose to follow Him and have the right image of God, when we allow Him into, to fill our mind and to, to guide us and direct us into discovering who He is, he, he, the destiny He has for us is unimaginable. Not just upon us, but upon our children and our grandchildren and those that come after us. That's amazing that God would, would, hold, would offer that to us, that kind of a blessing to us, just if we seek Him and walk with Him and be, live a moral life in obedience to Him and allow Him to be the number one place in our life. The great Christian writer C.S. Lewis once wrote this. He said, There are three images in my mind which I must continually forsake and replace by better ones. The first one was the false image of God. The second one was the false image of my neighbors. And the third one is the false image of myself. Now, we understand the false image of, of, of ourself pretty easily because we know that we can, you know, we can have pretty poor self-image of ourselves, And even of our neighbors, we can judge people too quickly. But do we really understand what it means to have a false image of God? 
And that's what we're talking about here. That's what the second commandment's all about, is having this false image of God. And we need to understand how critical and important that is to have the right relationship or the right knowledge of who God is. After all, Jesus, when he was talking with his disciples one day, he said, he asked them a question. He said, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And he wanted to hear what image people had of Jesus. And did they have the right image of who he was? Or was it a distorted image of who he was? And, and as the disciples you know, kind of gave him some feedback on what was going on, there were some distorted views, but there was also some right views. They had kind of, they'd come to know Jesus in the right way. Now, I'm going to put Josh on the spot here. Not, not really, but if I wanted to really know Josh Wong, right, I could ask, I could ask his wife Jen, right? I could ask her, what, what's Josh like? I could ask, you know, um, some other friends that he's got here. I could ask his son, his daughter, about, okay, so what's your dad like, right? I could ask, I could ask others. I could ask some of you that are sitting here, what's Josh like? I could ask Herman and Darren, who actually work with Josh and are also friends with Josh, and probably both of them would give me a different image of, of who Josh is to them. But the best way to get to know Josh, probably to get into his journals, right? I don't know if he journals or not, but get into and, and read about what he writes about himself. That would, that would be amazing to get to know him, right? Or I could just ask him, Josh, tell me, who are you? Tell me about yourself. What, what do you love in life and what do you appreciate and what do you value and what drives you and what makes you tick and what's your, what's your heart and how, you know, I could ask him those kinds of questions and that would be the best way. and then just wait for him to respond and not judge him going, oh, because he's got glasses or because this or that, you know, you know, he, I could judge him according to what I perceive of him rather than actually sitting and listening and hearing his heart. And that's what the best way of knowing who God really is. But you see, we can find, if you think about it, you can look at the world around us, and um, you know, men have gotten a bad rap, women have gotten a bad rap, dads have got a bad rap, mothers have got a bad rap, because there's all bad images of all those people. And so we cannot distort or base our image of, of, of a man or a woman or a mother or father based on some of those images because some of those images are just people that have really messed up badly. And nor can we judge God based on our experience of God or what we perceive of God because there's a, been a lot of people that have done an awful lot of bad things in God's name. We could think of the Crusades, the Inquisition, that happened, even some missionaries that have gone and traveled to parts of the world and, and, and caused huge heartache, done things in God's name that are just unimaginable. There's even clergy, pastors that have done the same, who have gone and done things and, and, and messed up people's lives and family relationships all in the name of God. And to judge God based on those individuals, it's a little unfair to God rather than going directly to God. Because, I mean, I'm sure some of, some of people that I talk to about Josh may not have all the, I mean, as good as Josh is, they may not have all the glowing reports of, oh, Josh is, you know, da, 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 you know kind of stuff. 
kind of like what everyone says at a funeral. Oh, who's the greatest person in the world, right? That's always what they say at funerals. Doesn't matter how bad the person was. Oh, they were the greatest person in the world. And so we have to understand the best way to know God is by engaging him and to understanding who he is. And not just by ourselves, but doing it with others. That's why we gather together. That's why we do it in community. Because as we get to know God together, we can help make sure that we don't view God in the wrong way. We can sharpen one another and going, are you sure to... You know, that view of God that you have, that God, is, that God isn't, you know, is just your best buddy God, that's not really all that God, because we can, we're, we're prone to be pick and choose what we like to eat. And we're prone to pick and choose what we like about God. And so other people will sharpen us and challenge us about that, just as we will challenge others in that as well. You know, if I took three people, three blind people, and they went up and touched an elephant, one person would be standing, you know, and they would feel this long, kind of thin, round kind of thing. It was about maybe, I don't know, two, three, four feet long with hair on the end of it. And they're going, wow, the elephant is kind of weird. You know, it's got a long, kind of scrawny, thin finger or leg or whatever. He doesn't know what it is. Another, another one of the blind, blind people standing at the front end of the elephant. And he, he feels, you know, the trunk of the elephant. And, and he's... he's you know, he's going, yeah, the air comes in and out of this one where the, the guy at the back, you know, the back end, he's going, air only comes out this end, you know, and it's, it's not the best kind of air. And the other one, well, no, the air comes in and out. Like, what are you talking about? That's, or a third blind man standing there and he's, he's got a hold of this big flappy piece, you know, and, and it's, it's rubbery and it's floppy and it, it is, there's no muscle to this thing at all. It just kind of, it's kind of flaps. And each of those blind people would have a totally different image of who this elephant is. And we, all of us are blind to some degree, and we need each other to help us give us a, a good understanding of who God is. That, that together, as we get into his word, as we study it together, then we begin to discover this amazing person that, we've, that we have the opportunity to know called God. And part of that is just saying to God, God, show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me. Speak to me. Speak through creation. Speak through the circumstances around me. Show me who you are. I do not want to create a false image of who you are, God. I want to understand your incredibleness, your beauty, your, your character, your love, your compassion, your heart, your justice. And so that's what we want to do. And so I'm going to invite you in a, in a few minutes, and I'm going to invite Josh and the, the team to come up. And as they're going to play in the background, or maybe it's just Josh, I'm not sure. They're going to, they're going to play a little bit. And I want, you to, I want to encourage you to do this one thing. I want you to take a few minutes, and I want you to ask God, God, who are you? Who are you? And then just be silent and listen. Who are you? And the best way that we can understand of who God is is by getting into his word and reading his word because that is God's revelation of who he is to us. 
It's the most balanced place that is the, the, the most balanced place we'll ever find about who God is. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is if you have a Bible, hope you have one on your phone, look up the verses, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. I mean, there's lots of places you can read in the Bible, but this is just one I'm going to pick today. And so if you have your Bible, go to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, and as they're going to play some background music for three or four or five minutes, we're going to, I, I want you to read through that passage, those 18 verses, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, I want you to read it through, and as you do that, I want you to ask that very question that's on the screen, God, who are you? And I want you to listen. Listen to whatever he speaks to you, whatever he says to you. Read it through once. And you may not get anything out the first time. Then go back and read it a second time. And if something, if a kind of a verse kind of stops you or a phrase, just stop and, 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 and reflect on it. And ask God further questions about that. God, what does that mean? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does that mean? Help me understand it. Help me understand who you are. And so read through that passage just over again. Over, and you may have to read it through a second time. You may have to read it through a third time. But when something jumps out at you, just stop and just listen. And just respond. And then ask further questions of God. God, what does that mean? How does that, how does that reflect? What does that mean for me? What are you calling me to do as a result of that? God is big. God is, he wants to talk to us. He wants to communicate to us. He wants us, he's smart. He understands who we are. He understands our needs, everything we need. God is there for us. And there's no better to reveal who God is than we talking to God one-on-one. Because God knows what he wants to reveal to you. And it may be different than the person sitting next to you. But that's his heart. Let me pray, and then we're going to have a, a few minutes of silence, and then Josh and the team are going to lead us in a, in a closing, closing song. So let's, let, me, let me pray for you. Jesus, open your word to us. Open our heart, our minds in this place. Spirit, come and reveal, God, who you are to us today, that we might encounter a fresh new view of who you are. God, we hunger and thirst for you. We, we want to know you. Maybe we want to even know if you're real. Because, God, we may not even know 100% for sure if you're real, if you're there. Maybe you don't even, we just have this sense that, God, you don't speak. But, God, speak. Touch us. Spirit on spirit. Speak to our heart, our soul, our mind, our body, we pray, Jesus, now in your name, that you might be glorified. Amen.